Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. Experts on Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by the newly returned Monica Padman. Welcome home. Thank you. I'm reborn. I prayed for your safe return and my prayers were answered. I'm here. You're here. The other person that's here with us today is Jamie Fiore Higgins. This is a juicy story. It is. We got an inside look into something you don't normally get. Yes, she is a former managing director of Goldman Sachs. Aside from her own personal story, which is really interesting, just the behind the scenes at those places, I had no idea how it all worked. Yeah. And you get a really cool glimpse of what that world is like. She has a book telling her story called Bully Market. My story of money and misogyny at Goldman Sachs. She looks at her experience in a very cool. It's it, not victim me at all. It's very introspective. She yeah. takes a lot of responsibility. It's pretty fascinating. It is. And I've, I've found the things I learned from her popping up all the time now that I look at finance and big business. Yeah. Really good episode. Please enjoy Jamie Fiore Higgins. We are supported by Squarespace. Guys, we have a Squarespace website that's just gorgeous. That Wobby Wob, you uh, you built that yourself using all the templates, yeah? I sure did. Yeah, easy peasy? So easy. Well, the best part about Squarespace is it's an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can get discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools, and you can choose from professionally curated layouts and styling options with Squarespace Blueprint. Plus, you can kickstart or update written content on any website, product description, or email with Squarespace AI. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. He's an Wobby Wobby, is this caffeinated? Uh, yes. Thank you. Oh, so I was going to ask you, because as I've been binge listening to everything, how are you doing with your caffeine? Because I am a heavily caffeinated person. There's been a round of justifications that have landed me in a very regrettable spot. So one was a two-week trip to Europe. What am I going to monitor my caffeine there? We're on vacation. That's right. You need that European coffee. And plus, you also have the time differential. You want to make the most of that first day. You don't want to be exhausted. Mm -hmm. I use that as an excuse, for sure. <laughs> totally. I was also traveling with one of my really good friends, Eric, who's also a recovering addict. So all we have is that 2 p.m. <laughs> let's drink three iced coffees and get wild. And I'm going to do that on vacation. I come home and I'm like, all right, time to, you know, rein this in. And then I'm like, oh, we got to record fast and hard. <laughs> so time. the last two weeks have been really among our busiest two weeks we've ever had. And so I'm like, what am I going to be tired in these interviews? No. 
Okay, what's the consequence you're receiving of caffeine? Well, that's kind of my take because I fully embrace it. If there's nothing bad coming along with it. And, you know, I feel like caffeine's one of those things where it's really bad for some things, but then they find out it's really great for something else. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I feel like on the margin, I'm probably all right. Well, I do read all the time that a cup of coffee is really beneficial for you because of the antioxidants mm -hmm. and whatnot. Here are my issues. I am previously an insomniac, right? So sleeping's a big thing already. Ideally, I should not be having any caffeine past, you know, it's 12. Because if I do that, then, you know, I take like three things non-narcotic to go to sleep. Some weird... Tras? No, I try to not be on trazodone, but of course, yes, I've been on trazodone yeah. this week because I've been drinking such an enormous mm -hmm. amount of coffee. So I just don't want to be on anything. Also, I did notice in my like six weeks of low caffeine, so calm in traffic, mm -hmm. so less interested in joining the family debate, like just oh, a generalized calmness and I'm fired up enough. I don't know right. if I need it. Walk me through your coffee consumption. Where are we at? What was its peak? I have to imagine on the job we're oh, here to gosh. discuss. Well, you know what I actually discovered on the job? Diet Mountain Dew. Oh, good for you. Oh, Wonderful. Wow. I'm not expecting that. That's Very Jersey. Jam. <laughs> I mean, Mountain Dew would be Jersey of you. Yes. Right. But you went Diet Mountain Dew to maintain that. <laughs> I really never drank coffee until I started working at Goldman. And then I upped the intake once I became a parent. Oh. Right, another survival technique. It's not only the awakeness, it's the quality of how you have to be when you're awake. Meaning before kids, you go to work and what do you really do? I don't know. We watch TV, we exercise, we read books. But then it's like you really have to be on for your kids, talking and listening. And caring. so, and, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You got to keep forcing yourself to And looking care. at homework. Yeah. So that's where it really peaked. Now I am one of those people where like I'll work on the never ending cup. Okay. So I kind of always have a cup going. Well, good for you. Have you discovered, and again, we're not sponsored by them. I have no financial ties to them. But Ember, a friend of mine turned me on to it. And this was instrumental in me reducing. So Ember is this mug that sits on a charger at night. And then when you fill it up in the morning, it keeps it hot. Oh. And so what I realized quickly into using it was, oh, I used to go through coffee quite quick because I didn't want it to get cold. Mm. And now there's no time pressure. It's going to be a nice hot See, temp. See, I have no problem with cold. Reheating. Or really, it never gets cold. I don't reheat. Oh, okay. okay. Room temperature. <laughs> oh, you like a nice room temp. Well, you know, <laughs> sure, it's sure. matching my body. It goes down real smooth. Yeah. So I feel like I read in a study once, this will come up in the fact check maybe, uh -huh. <laughs> that you'll consume more water if it's Look not warm. super cold, if it's room temperature, because it's matching to your body temperature. Okay. So uh -huh. it's not as jarring. You know what I did the other day on recommendation of my brother? I did one of those whatchamacallits. Yeah. Matcha? No, the caffeine drinks, the Red Bull. Oh, a Red oh, Bull. Sure, wow. sure. My wife's currently having a real love affair with sugar-free Red Bull. A diet Red Bull. Yeah. That's what I got, a sugar-free Red Bull. Yeah. Something about it, it tastes kind of like the kid's cough syrup I try to make them drink. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I hate the smell. But I love <laughs> the, and I'm totally being Jersey here, and I can't find <laughs> it anywhere again. Wawa? Don't know Wawa. Me Do you know either. Wawa? Uh -uh. What's Wawa? Just the best place ever. It's a Jersey, Philly 7 Eleven. Oh, oh, perfect. And they make great hoagies. Oh. Sure. <laughs> Most convenience stores do. <laughs> and they have these. They're basically knockoffs to like the Starbucks cold brews. Okay. They're great. They're nice. They're really nice. Okay. Oh, and wow. do they have it on tap? Because cold brew on tap is really fun. No, the cans. Okay. 
We've already learned so much about you just in this deep dive. You probably can learn more about somebody by asking them how much coffee they drink than any other thing. You don't have a story prepared for that. (laughs) Well, I, of course, was fascinated when you were pitched to us for the obvious reason of a woman's experience at Goldman Sachs. That seems like a unique story. But to be honest, once I started reading your book, we go from day one of the introduction to the place Mm -hmm. in the however many week program it is to train you to work there and Already I'm like, oh, this is a whole view of a world I've always been curious about. And really, I just have no experience with. I have no, I haven't seen a cool movie about it. I haven't seen a documentary about it. I don't know what happens. How do they turn you guys into cash registers? Machines. You know? Yeah. So even if you weren't immediately intrigued by the feminine aspect, which I was, I think just learning what that process is like is really fascinating. Well, let's back up. You're second generation from Italy. Yes. Right. Ooh. And you go to a college that you dreamt of going to. And shortly before graduating, you've taken a personality test and they tell you what you'd be great at. And you see that and you're in total concert with their decision. You're going to be a social worker. You announce it to your parents and they're like, fuck you. Really? Yeah. Those immigrant parents. Yeah. Yeah, Tell us that little journey uh, of even deciding to be an employee there. I always really found myself wanting to do something like social work. So as a kid, I had really severe scoliosis. If I hadn't had surgery, I would have died because my spine started to compress my heart and lungs. Was it discovered in one of these elementary school screenings? Did you do one too, Monica? Oh, yeah. I I wonder if those went out of favor, but no. No, No, they still do because I always get my kids extra screenings just to double check. I think it skips generations though. Funny enough, my sister had a typical mild case. I was little, maybe five years old, and I was in a bathing suit and my grandmother saw that I was tilted. And so I went to my sister's doctor and then I started getting watched. But being that kind of kid who was bullied and always kind of teased because of my back brace. and We well, had surgeries. and I had surgery treatment. when I was 13. I had a spinal fusion. So I always kind of just felt like I wanted to help other people. And so I got the personality test and I was so excited. And my mom was like, not happening. I love my mom. And it was so sweet. She's going to be 80 in a couple months. We went out to lunch not long ago. And she said, you know, I'm really sorry. And I said, listen, we all do the best we can with what we have and what we came from. And goodness knows I'm trying my best with my four kids, but I know it's inevitable. I'm going to make mistakes. You also inherit a paradigm bigger than you. So in their case, her parents made sacrifices to leave Italy, leave a farm, come here, do what they could, work terrible jobs. She got to go to college. She got to go to college. And my mom didn't even have plumbing. She would always say, I didn't feel impoverished. I really just didn't think about it because we were all together, but she didn't have anything. And same with my father. They were the only ones in their family that got to go to college, the local college, you know, which they worked their way through. And they really did a lot for themselves in their generation. And for my dad, actually, sadly, he lost his father who took his life when he started struggling after the depression in his business. So money for my family was not about things, not about things. Money is about safety. I heard you talk about your father. It was just about safety and knowing that you would be okay. And even now to this day, I mean, I joke, I took my mom shopping on Mother's Day and she wanted a workout sweatshirt and we went to Old Navy and we're checking it out. It was $49.99 and she said to me, 
I can get this for $16.99 at TJ Maxx. There we go. Yeah, well, you get the max for the minimum I over was there. Like, I was like, Mom, I get that, but you like it. And TJ oh. Maxx is 15 minutes away. What's our uh-huh. time work? Do you know the next day she returned it and got one no. at TJ Maxx? Good for Max. her. Good for oh, her. it's just embedded it's just, so It's just part of it. Deeply. So their whole point was we didn't take out loans to pay for this very expensive college education for you to get a job not making as much. Well, and here's where I'll defend them even further. You picked a high status school. You applied to a bunch and the highest status one came in and you're like, well, I got to go there. Which is? It was Bryn Mawr College. It's one of the seven sisters. Well, it's funny because I got full rides. At other places. But my parents also wanted me to go because they said a school like that will open up doors for you. I was upset that I didn't get to do it, but I kind of just did what I was told and I felt I owed them so much. What I put them through with the physical therapies and the surgeries, and I know that's what good parents do, but I still felt like- You were a big drain on the system. I was a drain on the system, especially because, and they never made me feel this way, but do the math. I'm 46, Uh my brother's 56, and my sister's 55. Okay, you were an accident. I was a (laughs) gift from God, right? Yeah, sure, that's what the uh, Roman Catholics would say. Exactly, so here they were, they had their two kids. They probably had everything plotted out. You show up all crooked-backed with high aspirations. That's it, man. (laughs) Busted up, sell me for parts. Oh, no. Was I a little bit bummed? Yes, but I did what I was told. And my dad always said I was the best ROI. You love that. Return on investment. You it took me that. nine correspondence with Tim Ferriss to actually figure out what he was saying. Yeah. I just acted like I knew, which is my pattern. That's such a Goldman Sachs thing to sure. also say. When you started making money, for me here, I remember so vividly when we got our Spotify deal. It was a windfall and it was really exciting. And I had therapy that day and I was talking to my therapist and she was like, how do you feel? Are you so happy? And I was like, I just feel relief for my parents. Parents. Mm. They can feel safe now. And I got to give them that. That was the takeaway, not like, I'm so happy. Yeah, a lot of people, their parents would want a house or something, but the gift for them is like, oh, I don't have to worry about her. Yeah, that's right. That's like the enormous gift. Also, knowing as a child who feels like their parents did so much for them that you've got them. Yeah, Mm -hmm, exactly. mm -hmm. But I will say, for me, the earning was not zero to 60. So it was a little bit fraught with some shame, too. Like, in my first year, I made more than my parents ever had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that felt a little icky. Interesting. I didn't feel icky, but I had the moment where my girlfriend Bree and I had lived in this one-bedroom apartment in Santa Monica, $600 a month for a decade. We went from there to the house that my sister now lives in a thousand feet that way, which is a great house, like 3,600 square feet on a half acre with a swimming pool. And I remember she and I spent the night there before even the utilities were turned on. We're like, oh, let's go sleep in sleeping bags. And I was laying in there and I just had this feeling of like, I skipped too many steps. I'm supposed to have three starter houses that I trade up on. Like that part was just very weird to me because I have no example of it. And I feel like maybe even, well, it must get taken away from me because- Easy come, easy go. Yes, I didn't (laughs) step up. It just kind of, now I'm here all of a sudden. It was a bizarre feeling. The other thing I would point to that is, 
how you felt about the work you were doing to get the money. Yeah, I felt proud of it, but I also knew that much more labor would have been involved in Michigan. I'm shooting the shit in front of a rolling camera and having fun. You break your back and take out loans and build a business before right. you get this. Well, to me, it was always the Jordash factory in Jersey City that I would drive by every morning. And I would see these people with their paper lunch sacks going yeah. into the building and just being like, they're working so much yeah. harder than me. Mm -hmm. And I'm making so much more money. There was some guilt and then also some, who the heck do you think you are to leave? Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I really relate to the survivor's guilt thing. Why am I not walking into that factory? Do I believe I deserve to not be doing that? I don't want to take away any particular people's success because I feel we live in an, a, a world of abundance where there's opportunities for everyone and cream rises to the top. However, a lot of times things happen because random, Oh, you know what I mean? Like, sure. And that one random thing can lead to... There was an article yesterday in the New York Times. It's like they look at all these indicators of what will lead to people migrating north on the economic ladder. And there's, of course, education. Married parents is a huge, huge indicator. Oh, wow. Like that's a huge step up. They're adding a new kind of metric. And if you didn't co-mingle with anyone else that was successful, which is, again, luck of the... That. Yeah, luck of the that. draw. Did Just your parents exposure. have any exposure yes. to people? Yeah, cream rises to the top. Probably 80% of the cream doesn't even get into That's the- exactly yeah, right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And just knowing what could be possible. It's not a meritocracy. I mean, there's still so much nepotism. A hundred percent. And that's why I always just felt so fortunate that I got that spot. You start with the orientation. She goes into this kind of stadium seating little room that they have. The person comes in at 7 a.m. on the dot, locks the door and begins the orientation. Oh and later out the rules for everyone and the people that are in there already i'd be fucking panicked coming from a blue collar well i don't know i'm cocky too i don't know but tell me about yeah how you were feeling and the people you were meeting in your story versus theirs some of it has to do with how we got there now i wasn't the only one certainly hired in that room without connections but a lot of people had them i had 38 interviews to get my job oh really my God. Mm -hmm. this is where i was lucky goldman came to Bryn Mawr. Uh -huh. so it paid off going to that school then i mean i mean weirdly I'd like to say I did a good job in my interview. Of course. However, they were the ones on that campus. Well, this is what we need to state. All things are true at the same time. You That's have right. to be bright. You have to work your fucking ass off. Even if your dad went to Harvard or whatever, you have to do all those things. After you've done all those things, you also need luck. That's right. So yeah, they came... I had on-campus interviews there, and then I went to the Philadelphia office. I had about 10 interviews there. Wow. Then I went to what they call Super Days, which are on a Saturday morning in one of the big buildings, and it's speed dating. There are six doors with two people at each door, and it's like every 30 minutes, you go, you interview, then you go to the next door, then you go to the next door, oh, then you go to the next my. door. So I did one of those. I realized after when I was the interviewer on Super Days, that's when they basically decide, okay, you're Goldman quality. Then you have to find a home. Can we say, well, you would know because you were in the recruiting side of things, what constituted Goldman quality? I'm dating myself a little bit because I don't know what it is right now, but in my experience back then, you're probably already coming from a certain set of schools. Because right. remember, if anyone's there, it probably start off on campus mm -hmm. and they only go to campus on certain schools. So great resume, great GPA, interest in finance. I joke that by the time I was interviewing, I probably wouldn't have made my own cut. You're also at the whimsy of whatever the current thought 
is at Goldman. So you had a mathematics degree. Who knows if one month before they're like, we need more mathematicians. We have too many finance That's people. Right. Like you don't even know what prevailing wins. And actually when I was being interviewed, their tagline was minds wide open. We want anthropology majors. Mm -hmm. We want sociology majors, psychology majors. Now, years later, I think they started doing an analysis where they sliced and diced people's careers that they had hired and what they came with. And I think then they started determining they really wanted more STEM. Okay. And those yeah. people tended to do best. Sure. Mm. But I was not an economics major. I was a math major. That's very different. Yes, of course. You make it through and then you're at this introduction. A gentleman to your right introduces himself. Yeah. He's like tall and blonde. I, he and was like an Abercrombie model. Here I come in with my like frizzy jersey hair. <laughs> I was so TJ clueless. My TJ Max outfit. You drove six hours to get there. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no makeup. I really just didn't know. And big firm handshake. I joked that like I felt my knuckles rolling oh, against wow. each other. Wall Street Journal open. I didn't even buy a Wall Street Journal. And what do you say? Like Wharton? Wharton. Oh, yeah. Taylor Hughes. Wharton, Wharton Economics. Economics. Ew. Right? Like I didn't even. I'm picturing myself in this room and everyone's introducing themselves. <gasps> You know, Harvard Finance, uh, Wharton that's Economics. That's like a archetype of a bad guy in a movie. It really that's like out is. of Wall Street or something. But that's the real. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He would lock the doors. On my first day at 701, I started hearing like the doors shake because if you were late and it was like one minute late, you'd have to go get a signed apology note from your partner who would inevitably be your new boss's boss or boss's boss's boss. Like, I didn't even know who my partner was. So for me, because of the way the trains worked on New Jersey Transit, I started leaving the house at like four oh. so I could get there by six because it was either six or like 6.52. You can't roll that you dice. Can't, you no. can't roll that no. dice. Okay, really quick. When you talk about the door locking part, I guess now when I hear you say it, the ostensible message is you can't come in if you're late. That's right. That's not what I interpreted as when I was reading it. I think if I saw the leader lock the door, what I would be sensing was, okay, we're in the bubble now. What we say in here and do in here isn't for out there. And this is like a little code of secrecy. Like a like, safe space? Well, and not in a good way, in a we're going to let it fly in here. You're going to learn the truth. You're going to learn how the sausage is made. I have to imagine all these places have a presenting image of what they are. And then they have the behind the scenes what we really do. In some weird way, you're inducting people into the code of silence. A dumb analogy is a writer's room in Hollywood is a sacred place. There was a Supreme Court decision. There was someone who sued for sexual harassment, and it was determined that in a creative space, the writer's room, people are going to step over the line. That's how we discover where the line is. That's where we find where the joke line is. I am largely in favor of that concept. I obviously think there's assholes who are sexually harassing people with that cover fire but that's my analogy to these companies like once you're in the writer's room or once you get the real like oh we don't ever get insider trading but we have ways i think that's implicit in my at least fantasy of that world but is it in your example in service to the product yeah well that's what i was going to say it's not nefarious right i feel like in my world it was in service to keeping up a facade 
Sure. But though downriver is how the product is made. We predictably have these returns on investment and we have a way of doing it that maybe the outside world's never going to agree with. And here's where you find out the truth. Yeah, I, but I it doesn't have to be this weird, toxic, secretive. They make it that so that you feel like you're trapped. I mean, you're literally trapped. Your door is locked. But I like what you're saying because it's almost like a secret recipe. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, exactly. If you're cooking a great product and you're making the secret sauce, you don't want anyone else outside knowing what yes, flavor you're true. putting in it. So when it's in service to the product, and if you're talking about business, and certainly as a writer, you want to see how far you could push the line for entertainment. In finance, you want to see how far you can push the line in terms of getting the best returns under the umbrella of being compliant with all the rules. Well, and that's regs. what I was going to say. Even if we're assuming no laws are broken. There is so much nuance in pushing up to the micron before you've broken the law. That's right. And if it's in service to the product, which is inevitably, hopefully, the stockholders or people who invest in the products, I think that's one thing. Right. Then you have bad actors who leverage that silence where it's not in service to anything positive. Other than their own ego. And this is where it gets dicey. And this is what's exciting about this conversation is there has been a belief that that toxicity is actually part of the magic sauce. Let's just say that there's been all these social science studies on what happens to traders when they have wins. Their testosterone increases. Like you have a physiological response to taking risk and having won. So I can see some outsiders, some analyst firm going, well, we don't like how they behave when they're all teed up, but also we have to acknowledge the gains and the risk and all these things. Like if at the end of the day, it's raising the bottom line, hush, hush, we're going to let that go because we think it might be part. I don't think it is. I can see the history of it. But then you're also looking at one segment of the population and mm -hmm. how they perform under certain environments. Yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. Privileged yeah. people for the most part. Right. I guess what I'm pointing out is in the many ways we've been slowly evolving, I think we're inching away from the old boys club. And within the old boys clubs there's some probably erroneous assumptions about the value of walking around like a silverback and beating your chest that's right a problematic feeling that a lot of especially corporate companies have and just humans is it has to be difficult to be successful. worth it successful again it's with worthiness it's like well i'm not really worthy of this but it's really hard and i'm struggling and people are being mean to me so i guess i've earned it and that's like honestly abusive relationship type thinking well it's interesting because i think it kind of goes back to having a scarcity mindset this is so hard to get and then therefore i better hold on to it yeah. better hoard i better right yeah. yes the other example to depersonalize it and not make it about finance, there's been a paradigm in coaching sports that has yielded lots of championships. And Pete Carroll was like, huh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to recognize what each player needs. Some dudes need to be yelled at. Some dudes need this. But I'm going to have a different core, which is like, your number one job here is to know you represent a team at all times. All these things are counter. But until those techniques start yielding some positive results, people are scared to deviate from right. the old way. What was the coach in Indiana would fucking chuck chairs across oh, the oh, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Because that has produced results in the past, people are wrongly married to those Right, techniques. and to your point, you need time to try to test the new ways to approach it because maybe the results would be even better than the chair thrower. <laughs> yeah, Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight. Yeah, I was going to say Gene Cady, but that was the Purdue coach around <laughs> the same time. Was he wild too? 
<laughs> no, I just remember. Oh, okay, I just remember his comb over. Oh. He was one of those with the big comb yeah. over. You know, it's funny you think about that. When we grew up, it's like comb over is standard. You saw it on one in three men. It just had seven feet of hair on one side. I mean, legit. <laughs> it must have gone down to his like mid arm. <laughs> yeah, you imagine them stepping out of the shower with just a waterfall oh, of hair gosh. hitting the shoulder and the other side. Oh God, change, change, change. Okay, so. I also think it's relevant to talk about because it all seems calculated. After this very scary first day, you're learning if you're one minute late, you're out, or you're going to have to get an apology letter, all that stuff. He mentions in this orientation that's harder to get where you're at right now than it is into Harvard. So you're just reminding the people, like, you have an opportunity that no one gets, and you're, we're going to kill you, and that's how it's going to go. But then they flip the script at the end of it, and you guys all get invited out on the first night to a cocktail thing. Yeah, so I always worry about being sensitive when I say this, but it's like a really abusive kind of relationship. Yes. Where It's the apology. It's the wine and dining, it's the berating, and then exactly. the celebrating. The love and bomb. That's how that's how the bonus structure works. You beat, you beat, you beat, you beat, and then you get this crazy windfall. You're getting locked out. You're constantly anxious, and then they close Barney's for you, and there's a private fashion show, and you feel like a rock star. When the husband hits you, and then he's on his knees begging and apologizing, and you feel this wash of the opposite extreme. And then flies you to Bermuda. Right. Mm -hmm. So night number one, you go to the crazy steakhouse, unlimited drinks, unlimited food. I mean, the seafood towers, and for me, (laughs) it was like, what? Well, as an Italian, you guys love your seafood Uh towers. Well, and then, you know, I mean, literally, like, my dad... Saturday nights were steak nights mm-hmm. with the mashed potatoes and the corn, the whole thing. And I'd been to like an Outback Steakhouse. But when this tower came and one of the women who, she only had three interviews to get her job. So, you know, oh. she was more connected. She was like, oh yeah, this costs about like $200. I was like, $200? Per seafood yeah. tower. And you're counting seafood tires. Wow, they're at like, 1800 bucks right now. And what have... is going on here? They've already been trained for this. They were just well-spoken in the world of affluence. Yes. Mm-hmm. They all had apartments in the city, most of them funded by their parents. So it was just a whole different world. And I felt like I needed an interpreter in some ways because I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, they're all talking about where they live and what cool restaurants. And then that gets to you and you're fucking panicked because you're in Jersey at mom and dad's. And when I said Jersey, they're like, oh, Hoboken. Because Hoboken's a pretty cool (laughs) area. And I'm like, no. They're like, what? You live with your parents? (laughs) People were ripping lines at the end of the night in the bathroom, yeah. people that are going to have to go to work uh, at yeah, 7. I've heard these Wall Street stories. Yeah. And it was just crazy to me because being such a rule follower, we had had drug tests that morning. We signed this thing and just like, what is this world? Yeah. yeah. Do you think those drug tests were ever ran? I don't know. How were they dealing with the drug policy right. if everyone well, was well, no. getting gacked up? You test that first day. And then no, you never off to the races. Again. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so they can say- So that's why I think they were partying it up that night because they were probably- Had you been know, clean for two weeks. Whatever you need to be to test fine. <laughs> yeah. To not piss hot, I don't as we say. <laughs> Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Taco Bell. Ooh. Oh, man. We often do two recordings a day, and we have this little nice lunch break that we enjoy, and we're always craving something really yummy. Yes, yeah, something fresh, something high quality, something like the all-new cantina chicken menu from Taco Bell, which is mm. exactly that. Mm. 
It's so yummy. It has slow roasted chicken, the pico, that purple cabbage, and an avocado verde salsa sauce. Oh, delicious. Outrageous. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken menu at Taco Bell now. Okay, so how long working there before you start experiencing some real vertical movement? And what is it that they latch on to in you that they start betting on or they believe in? What was your kind of unique niche that you were great at there? I always think back to my grandma. She would always say to me, pick up enough pennies, you get a dollar. So I was definitely, for lack of better words, scrappy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I always kind of saw opportunities and took them. And so I started making inroads and just some smaller clients. And I was the first one and they used to call me Philo, which is an accounting term, first in, last out. I was always the first one there, the last one to leave. Some of the kids I worked with would leave at two o'clock on Fridays to catch their flight to Martha's Vineyard. Uh I was there till 10 o'clock at night. And also I covered a lot of small regional clients. So people from Iowa, Washington State, these little kind of smaller people. And I had an ability to connect with them. Yeah, Yeah. right. Because you hadn't vacationed primarily or solely at Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. so. You'd been to Six Flags in New Jersey. I have been to Six Flags, great adventure. Great adventure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And did you start becoming closer with your coworkers and speaking their language and finding that you were starting to fit in? They used to call me Sister Jamie because so many of the things I almost didn't get. And I remember I was working and there was a woman I work with a little more senior than me. She was off the desk a lot. And primarily we went out with clients for dinners. I mean, once in a while a lunch. And I kept taking those like while you were out pink slips. And I said, oh, I hope so-and-so's okay. And they're like, oh, no, no, she's out oh, banging yeah. this guy at the hotel. Oh, oh, I was like, what? And I got so red and they were like, oh, we're going to call you Sister Jamie. And so there were definitely people here and there that I connected with, some women that I'm still friends to this day. But I felt very much like one of these things is not like the other member. Yeah. Well, again, I'd imagine you'd fall quickly into this pattern if you work there, which is I'm taking on all this stress. So the one thing that the Jordash line worker didn't have is an abundance of stress that kept them up, probably. They're not sitting at home worrying how many units per minute are going to be manufactured. Right. I mean, that they're probably the sh- stressed about making ends meet, of, of course, course. But yes. But the labor of that job is the amount of stress you're taking on. On the line, as long as you're not falling behind, you don't need to correct be absolutely exceptional to stay and or move up and they make it very clear there that the bar gets higher every single day Uh so if you're not outperforming where you were yesterday this is just one big firm but you know they took a page out of jack welch's playbook at goldman every year bottom 10 percent go (gasps) even if it's record earnings every year the bottom 10 percent go it's just a call because we want to keep people on their toes i think there's a new book out about the cult of jack welch Um, do you know david gallus Oh, okay. Yeah. He was the GE CEO. Yeah. I'm actually reading the book. It's so fascinating to see the parallels because he was just worshipped. He's the Henry Ford of like management. Yeah. Or and he talks about how he approached business, but they took a page out of his playbook every year, 10% go. So you're in that constant state of paranoia. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the partners, my first week at work said, welcome to Goldman Sachs, home of the most paranoid and insecure people. 
Because that's what it takes to yeah. put up with the environment. You have to start devaluing yourself to be able to put up with it. Because if you feel confident and good, you'd be like, well, if you I'm have not. boundaries. Yeah. And if you're just like, I don't deserve this, I can do better. I can feel better. It's not attracting those types of people. Well, that's what's weird is those are mutually exclusive. You can either earn a lot or you can feel better, but you're probably not going to be able to earn a lot and feel great. Right. I always feel like I was so ripe for their picking because I always kind of felt less than because of my physical issues and felt obligated. So I was just feeling like I had to perform for my family of origin and then the generations before that. Yeah. And maybe you're representing women. A big theme for me is I always felt like... Like I needed to prove people wrong because I always felt growing up when I had my back surgery, like, listen, you may never walk again. And then you may be physical, but you're never going to be an athlete. So it was always like, I just wanted to break out of boxes. Yeah. So I feel like I was right for their picking because you're right. Looking back now, I can't believe what I tolerated and what I normalized. Back to the high stress environment that it is. All people are at the verge of burning out at all times. And so anything that can be a sanctuary away from this neurosis is going to be embraced. So when you get off the clock, the only way to not be absolutely obsessed with what's going to happen in the off hours and everything else, you got to get annihilated. You got to get fucked up. You got to switch gears. I have to imagine rates of addiction are much higher in that environment. And then, yes, the sexual relief. Oh, I can go take my lunch break and I can feel powerful and in control and not stressed out for an hour. This is a tool to achieve that freedom. I'm going to take it. Yeah. I always joke that that stop and frisk should be in Tribeca. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) For for drugs, probably. Yeah, for drugs, because everyone had a poison. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was alcohol, whether it was affairs, whether it was drugs. I'm not going to say everyone, but if it could happen to me, I know what happened to a lot of people. Did it start pre or post you being a manager? The unraveling? Yeah. Was it just slow and precipitous? Or? It was slow and precipitous. I mean, definitely September 11th was hard. You've been there for three years at that point? 98? Yeah, to, okay. three years. And so that's when I started my use of Xanax. Uh just to kind of get through the days. Initially prescribed by a psychiatrist or something? Yeah, I was just in a constant state of anxiety, as was most people. Many people didn't even come back after that. The proximity to Mm. the World Trade Center was very close. Yeah, we were close. Looking back at that moment, I remember just thinking maybe there's a plane for every one of these buildings. We were on the 48th floor. Yeah, they're trying to cripple commerce if that's the goal. Yeah, Yeah. and it was so hard coming back. And one of the mantras you always hear is you can only leave Goldman once. And so my mentor said to me, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't leave, but you can only do it once. So really make sure it's what you want. I carried a gas mask in my bag for years. So there's some PTSD from the for whole experience. Sure. For sure. And so many of us had it. It wasn't just me. Now I'm an ex-addict, so of course I'm going to geek out most yeah. on this. The original use of the Xanax is what, in the evening or all day? Or where does it start? Where does it end? So I was prescribed it right after September 11th. The second I knew I was pregnant, nothing. But yeah, for years, some days all day long. Uh If it was really stressful, especially toward the end, after I had kind of whistleblown on that guy. Well, tell us about that. You end up taking the position of managing director. What year is that? 
2012. 2012. Okay, so 14, 14 years. years. Okay, so you get that job. Up until then, were men pissed at you yet that you were climbing? Well, men were pissed at me once I started becoming a manager. So that was earlier. So, okay. so to be clear, it's funny. Managing director is a title. It doesn't necessarily indicate any different of a role. You can be a manager as a vice president. You could be a manager as a managing director. Okay. So I first got promoted in 2005. So that's when it was like, oh, wait, Jamie's doing what? I'm Trent from Wharton. Yeah. What happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me yeah. break your hand. There was a lot of anger from the guys who felt I got promoted because I was a woman. There was a lot of that. Oh, right. And so then implying um, that you were only there to fulfill some quota. quota. When I found out I was becoming a manager, I was told about it before my team knew. So they're like, listen, this is going to happen the next week. I want you to go to some events so you can get a little bit of a lay of the land because my business was changing a bit. So one of the guys who was going to be working for me hit on me. It was pretty aggressive. Right. And then when he found out the next day that not only did I turn him down, turn him down, but yeah. now he was working for me. Uh, and oh, no. he was all also 10 years older than me. Women are woman's... scared of getting killed and men are scared of getting embarrassed. Yeah. And that kind of started it. I replaced somebody. And what ended up happening was I started getting calls from this guy's wife because she felt that he was having an affair with a client. I had heard about it, but I didn't have any proof. I had just become a manager. Also, it's par for the course, right? right Everyone's you know, having an affair. It's like, yeah, yeah so, so it's like, whatever. I was not your... <laughs> It's not my responsibility, but she kept calling oh, and gosh. she had little kids. She had just mm. had a pregnancy loss. I had just had a pregnancy loss. Oh. I was like, oh, this is breaking my heart. I finally raised it. Fielding these calls is yeah, becoming yeah. disruptive. You have the power at this point to separate him from the client. Correct. To be clear, you're not supposed to be having an affair with your, your client. clients. You but could have an affair with your hairstylist, yeah. but, sure. but there's a conflict of interest, <laughs> Yeah, especially if it's someone you are working directly with, yeah. which was the case. So I reached out to my boss and, you know, I joked that this guy had something better than a 4.0 from Harvard. He was a scratch golfer. Yeah. Yeah. That'll get you everywhere. <laughs> So he knew all the pros at all the places, got them tea times anywhere. And my boss was like, listen, I'm not going to report it. I'm not going to do anything about it. Just get them off the account. So I'm like, all right. That'll solve the problem. I mean, I thought it was kind of crummy because it shouldn't be happening, but it was going to make it easier. And my business- You're being pragmatic. Exactly. So I pulled him aside and he lost it. And he pinned me against a wall. It was like out of a movie. It was crazy. He grabbed you by the chin. Yeah. And what I tried to do was I tried to be so fair about it. So instead yeah. of just being like, I'm moving just these two, I mixed up everybody. Oh ah, my God. You bent over backwards. To protect his feelings. <laughs> yeah. Because I didn't want to make sure. it seem like, because I didn't want to even talk about the affair. Yeah. Right. So I was like, hey, listen, I want to just mix it up and just lost his... Oh my stuff God. on me. Well, here goes his built-in excuse for why he's with this woman all the time. Yeah. Okay, so right now, this is a really complex moment. It's at the end of the day. Yeah. No one's around. You always send bad messages at the end of the day. Oh. <laughs> that's another, I don't know if that's a Jack Welch thing. <laughs> that's something I picked up on. I don't know if they picked that up from Jack Welch. But what makes it so complex 
is if I'm a guy in that situation, I have a lot of options. I fight back. I don't fight back, but I go above him and tell somebody. If I go and tell somebody, I'm not risking that the stereotype about me is true, that I'm just weak and can't handle shit. The survivalist urge to be one of the boys must have been complicating the experience, knowing, well, fuck, if I go now and tell them how terrified I am, I'm reinforcing this idea that I'm not tough enough to be here. Any of that happening? A hundred percent. And when I was promoted, because this guy had gone from being the manager to working for me, I was asked, like, you can handle him, right? Ugh. You can handle this, right? Right. And this was my first shot. This was my first tap on the shoulder that I was a manager, which meant that maybe I'd be a managing director. And I said I'd handle it. Well, what else were you going to say? You wouldn't you know, have been given the opportunity. I, did, I really didn't think that handling it meant this kind of stuff. Fisticuffs with oh an employee. But I did say something. My husband was irate. Oh, He's like, God, you got it. Yeah. You got to say something. And it was like, look, you can complain. There are channels for this, but I'm not getting rid of him. So imagine how hard it's going to be for you to keep on working as his boss with this guy after you say something yes oh you're trapped you're just trapped oh the point being if you go to hr which would be the appropriate channel instead of keeping it within our little group you're now changing the whole direction of everything well they're saying nothing's going to change regardless he's not going to fire him right yeah right that's off the table so now you're just just making it double awkward that you quote ratted on him that's right yes i'm saying this without any sympathy towards him but from the outside this dude's life is in a fucking nosedive he's having an affair he's assaulting his boss at work i mean this guy is all fucked up and also too kind of looking back now what was he on he might be suffering he might have been on something sure who knows if his wife's calling you the wife's bringing it up to him and he doesn't want to be at home now work is the only place he can find comfort and now he's at work and now you're his boss which wasn't supposed to happen and now you're now bringing this thing up that this was my safe place so now this thing's gone again i'm not saying any of this with compassion just those are the ingredients in this crazy situation now that i'm looking back i see things in such different ways i would argue and this is probably too dramatic to say but You see behavior in times of war from people you just don't see when they return stateside. There's all these examples. The rate of opiate addiction for vets while they were in country in Vietnam is staggering, 30% or something. They come home and only like 4% remain addicts. Like So what you see is, oh, this environment really can change who people are. Especially because it changed me. Yeah. You had told me that I would have cheated on my husband. I was a Girl Scout. Like, no. I was just a really good person. Right. Mm -hmm. You're like, it's your identity that you're a good person. You make good decisions. Gosh, like, it's just so important to me to be a good person over anything else. So in order of what we would call bottom lines in certain programs, like in your mind, I'm not a drug addict. I would never cheat on my husband. Yeah. I will be present for my kids' lives. Whatever these cornerstones of your identity were, in what order do you start stepping over them? The reliance on the drugs came first. I feel like my infidelity was another escape Yes. It was another coping mechanism. It just happened to be this person. It could have been something else. I do also think my contribution as a misogynist, you know, like I look back and I'm like, you know what? I'm part of someone's Me Too story. Uh You know? And that I think was probably in between. Okay. So I really think it was the Xanax first to just cope. 
And then it was me getting promoted and then me having kids. And I was the poster child for the Goldman Sachs working mother. Mm. And so these women would come to me for advice. How do you do it? You have two girls. You have a husband. How are you making it happen? And so I relished in that. It was being a social worker. Well, I love the irony is you're not making it happen. But you're going to tell them how to make it happen. Well, I joke and I say that I felt like the smiling flight attendant Mm -hmm. who said everyone was fine while the pilot was nosediving the plane. Yes, Yes. well, that's a great analogy. Yes, yes, Everything's great. Because I think part of me wanted to believe what I told them. I wanted to believe what I told them. Well, if you were to acknowledge that you couldn't, something then has to go. Either your definition of who you are as a mom, who you are as a wife, or your or role or a successful yeah. woman. One of those things is going to have to go away if you acknowledge it. So yeah. you must perpetuate the lie. It's what an addict yeah. does, as I would do. It's like, no, I'm still functional. I'm getting yeah. great grades in school. The kids are great. My yes. husband's great. The marriage is great. We have a nice house. Everything's great. So I feel like the drugs kind of perpetuated my kids up the ante. Then managing director really fueled my perpetuating the bad environment. So for example, when one of my subordinates who I loved, she was awesome. She was having a really hard time. Guys who also berated me were berating her. She finally left. I never knew for sure, but I suspect she sued because Mm. someone sued. And my partner said, outside counsel is going to call you. They want to hear what your experience is as a working woman in my group. And I trust you're not going to say anything. I'm going to promote you this year. What's negative about that? So now at this point, I got two kids at home. Imagine you're biting off more in life as we do too. Yeah, now you're probably beholden to a mortgage that you wouldn't otherwise be. That's and right. Car payments. You, know, you become trapped by what you take on in these moments yeah. as well. Yeah. And so going back to I want to prove people wrong, I want to prove Taylor Hughes from Wharton that I could be an MD. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. I could do it too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they had said to me, you'll never be able to make it here. You don't know anything. You haven't been managing a portfolio since you were 12 like I have. Right. You right. know? Yeah, yeah. And then- I hate that guy. <laughs> and as the kids got older, then responsibilities changed at home and tensions were brewing. And then in walks this guy and you're too young for this. You'll appreciate it. I always say it was my Calgon take me away moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you ever see those commercials? No. Oh, Monica. They were great. I they wrote were, it oh. in my book proposal, and then I had to take it out because I was dating myself. Oh. I sang it oh. taking me away. There was these great commercials, and there would be a woman, and we don't know what the stresses of her day were. <laughs> was it family? Was it work? All yeah. we know is that she would escape to that big sunken in tub, and she'd get in there, and Calgon would take her away. And she'd have a bubble bath, and it was romantic. <laughs> it was almost like she was having an affair with her bathtub great. in those commercials. Yeah. Oh, she seems. She, yeah, she seemed organic. Well, what we know is she was using the sprayer to reach Climax, but it wasn't explicitly stated, but it was all right there. Good for her. Yeah, I wish I could remember the theme song. So yeah, so when this guy was like, hey, listen, let me get you a glass of wine. Like, you're working so hard. You're so amazing. Mm -hmm. Was he at work? Sorry. Yeah, I worked for him. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm imagining, you know, you're disappointing the people in your family at this point, that you're not giving them as much of you as they would want. And someone presents you with love without any of the requirements normally involved in a relationship. It's like, this is going to be nurturing and affection without any responsibility on your end. 
And that's a very appealing proposition. Some weeks I'd hardly see the girls during the week because I had a long commute and then I would go out with clients. I'd get home at midnight and get up at 4.30 and do it again. I'll never forget one night I came home early and the girls wouldn't go to me. And I'll never forget my one daughter. She wiped my kiss off her cheek. Oof. Listen, they were like two. Yeah, yeah they but do that still. shit when you're around every day. <laughs> yeah. but, yes, but, but you definitely are assuming the worst. And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm doing all this for what? Yeah. For what? Yeah. And then I would imagine with that deficit of your core identity markers, now the need to achieve gets even higher because it's the only thing bolstering the whole story is now I need even more the money and the status because that's that's all I've now got. That's right. And it's amazing because I didn't come from materialistic people, but I couldn't walk away from it because it was the only thing I felt that I was contributing in the world. Yep. That's your one sole value proposition to people around you. And Goldman was so good to make me feel that I was nothing without them. I really thought I would never make a penny again. And I would see it because they would target people. There was this one guy, the partner just had an issue with him because he would leave every day at four o'clock because he went through a divorce with his kids. He wanted to see his kids. And How dare what a, he? What a fucking wimp. <laughs> and my partner was like, you got to tell him. And so I told him and I was like, listen, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just letting you know. And he's like, I don't give a crap. I'm doing what I want. And his bonus got slashed. He blamed me. I tried to stand up for him, but I didn't stand up that much because my boss was calculating my bonus too. So, you know, he stayed. And so my partner was like, well, that's what he's worth. Where's he going to go? He's nothing without Goldman Sachs. So not only was I told that, but I also witnessed that being told to other people. So I was afraid to leave. So I would make up stuff I needed to save for. I joked I had this spreadsheet called the spreadsheet of freedom that my husband and I worked on. It was my budget spreadsheet. And I would almost make up stuff because it was like I would never make money ever again. You're breaking up with the prom king. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The breakups are always messy. Bloomberg posts an article. Supposedly, I mean, you'll fact check me on this, (laughs) but two guys left. They were doing really well at the firm and now the firm is saying they weren't doing well Uh you know what i mean so it's like oh you're leaving the family you were a piece of crap anyway we don't want you yeah yeah yeah. who broke up with who right so it's always like a messy messy divorce so what are the consequences how do they stack up enough that you start fantasizing about leaving what ended up happening was i finally got to my moment where the boss i had been with had left and i got a new guy We were out with clients and he was really drunk, really out of control. And he used a racial epithet on one of the employees. So now we're in a public space with my colleagues, with clients, with the public. And, you know, it's funny going back to kind of abusive environments. I always kind of felt like we were in this bubble. The secret society. And the secret society. And like all this crazy stuff was happening, but we kept it in the family. Yeah. And now it was like our nasty knickers were hanging up for everyone to see and that moment for me was like "Mm -mm, i can't be a part of this anymore and so i called hr it's technically not called hr it's called employee relations er 
Have, By the way, that's apropos. Right. You're only calling for like emergency. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. you know, the whole thing is if you see something, say something. Our reputation is paramount. And I talked to someone I knew. I was promised anonymity. I had known him. I had worked with him before on sensitive issues around when we would let people go. And he's like, I got you. Don't worry about it. So I said, like, good. I'm getting a little bit of myself back. At this point, I had reconciled with my husband. So I was kind of on the road to getting back to who I was. Yeah. And the next day, I joked that it was like a scene from the godfather my partner calls me in the office i'm an idiot i'm thinking it's to go over my latest client report he's like close the door he's like chloe relations called said you said something bad about justin just so you know we solve problems within the family there's so many parallels to your story one is like it's also the dirty cop paradigm it's like you got internal affairs which is in this case er and then you've got your squad and you're supposed to have each other's backs the other police parallel i would say is your own admitted misogynistic ways while there i think of black cops that enter this kind of racist system but now they're on an in-tribe that has to look at all the guys in the neighborhood with one light and they end up doing it themselves even though they too are black like the power of that in group that's right is so strong that you will betray your own previous quote group it's wild it's a powerful culture society our group in group i think so many of us think that our identity and our morals and our ethics are poured in concrete but they're so malleable by who we're around so malleable and so motivated by money. Mm-hmm. And again, even if you're not buying Louboutins or expensive bags. Yeah, AMGs and Ferraris. <laughs> yeah. and- oh, by the way, you had me at the Honda Odyssey race. Oh, like okay. Like you had me there. Oh, okay. Oh, for- you I'm not a car person. But you love your Odyssey. <laughs> oh, I love my Odyssey. Yeah, that's a great machine. That's why Over 200,000 miles, my friend. That's nothing. You've just broken it well, it's so It's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny because I was so upset upset because I was driving it. I'm like, I got to get a picture when it hits 200. And I totally missed the memo. And my husband, I was like, oh my God, we missed it. And then he's like, don't worry, we'll get it at 300. That's right. That's right. I want to make one distinction about in-group, out-group though, because it's in our bones to have these tribes basically. But when they're reinforced, like they are in a police system, like they are here when they're just shoved down your throat and reinforced and reinforced, it's impossible to see outside of it. It's not just like, oh, these are my people. They're telling you every day these are your people. They're instilling fear that if you don't say these are your people, you're out. There's a lot more to it, I think, than just our innate biology. I always joke that Goldman put the cult in culture because in a lot of ways, it's that cult mentality. The fact that this guy who choked you, you might be able to say, well, he's just a violent misogynist. But no, it's when you go to your boss and then they say, don't contact hr that's where now you expose that the system itself might be contaminated a lot of the things i did wrong was either by action or just by silence yes Mm. right you're the watching officer that's right yeah in some ways i wasn't some ways i outright lied when they called me but in other ways there were women who complained and i didn't get involved yeah i didn't speak up And I'm sure in your own motivation of the people under you, you were employing all the tactics that had worked on you. Years later, I was in charge of the intern class. So the guy who locked the door. Yeah. I locked the door. Sure, sure, sure. I made people cry. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a sick part of me that felt like I was on the right side. I had made it. Dicey metaphor, but it's the slaves who worked in the field versus the slaves who worked in the house, how there became a hierarchy within the oppressed. That's right. Mm-hmm. I was the bullied kid who became the bully. Once I was out of it, things started to really become clear to me. Yeah. It's like leaving a cult. I mean, it really is. When you talk about the moment, your bonus is handed out in January, Mm -hmm. and you're waiting for it to load to find out. And then you find out, and your husband's there with you. And then you say, oh, my God, look at it. Okay. Your husband immediately goes, okay, so now you're out, right? That moment to me is so similar to deciding to get sober because Mm -hmm. you have wreckage on one hand. You've recognized you have wreckage. You have a spreadsheet of your fantasy departure, which I'm sure involves all the reasons you would need to do it. And then you have the drug. You have the money. And what's crazy is be like me having quit cocaine on the day the kilo showed up at my house. That's right. Mm, Yeah. But in your case, this is also the thing that's going to allow me to leave. Right. Money, it's like so much about how we view ourselves, how we view safety, Mm -hmm. how we view status, our value, what we're worth. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. How bad was the Xanax? Two things about Xanax and just benzodiazepine in general is it's among the very hardest things to quit and to detox from because it drastically changes the chemistry of your brain. And then it takes months and months and sometimes years. I don't know if people realize that as they're ratcheting up a benzo addiction. So how bad did it get? And did you have a bad detox? And how did you confront that? Are you currently popped up on no. a dozen Xannies? <laughs> No, not anymore. Really, for me, it was the pregnancies that did it. I was able to just white knuckle it through those things. And then with my last child, I was able to breastfeed her. I never did that with the others. That kind of lasted me through because I left. She was like seven months old and I was still nursing. So I basically stopped. I remember being so sick, nauseous dizzy. It's an equilibrium thing. Yeah. Like I just remember almost feeling like spins. And it's hard to stay the course because you must in those moments be thinking, well, I permanently did this to my brain. It's been months. It's been whatever it's been. I guess I don't have an option but to be on this because I can't really function this way. Well, then I was just so afraid because of my miscarriages that I had. I worried enough that it had been in my bloodstream so long because for my last child, I didn't find out I was pregnant for a while. Uh I was like so sick over could that have hurt her. Of course. And I mean, she seems (laughs) (laughs) she's doing great. Uh, She's seven now. But I mean, that's really what got me to be like, no. The other thing that's just a spot on parallel is the fact that right before quitting, you're admitting I missed first steps. I missed first words. I kind of have a shot still to repair and be present. They're young enough. I can't tell you how many dudes I've watched get sober where it's like first owning. I missed all that. Yeah. And then two, I got to make it up and I got to really be present. And quitting this thing is going to allow me to do that. And that's exactly right, because I really don't feel I was ever present with them. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget. I used to have to like sneak out of the office to go to things, meaning I think they thought I was present. I was physically there. I was literally dialed into conference calls, like uh-huh. on mute, hardly paying attention. Right. Because I was always so anxious. And I will say it's interesting, though, because I think there's a function of Xanax. I don't know the pharmacological thing about it. Despite having a sibling, that's a pharmacist. She's a pharmacist, so I should ask her. (laughs) But 
I definitely think there's an element of the more stressed you are, the less you feel it. I was on Xanax all day long. I did not feel calm. Yeah. I barely felt calm. I felt functioning. If I took a Xanax now, I'd be like probably drooling (laughs) on the couch. Yes, yes, yes. This is the diminished returns of opiates, benzos, cocaine. That's the only great thing about alcohol is you can at any point still get fall down drunk. But you didn't. But I could have, right? Like if I if I had chose to have two fifths of Jack Daniels instead of one, I could have been inebriated. But you reach a point with Xanax and opiates that you're just doing a lot to get back to status quo when you started. When I was at the office, I would be shaking without it, shaking from anxiety and stress. I just needed that to be functioning. Right. Yeah. Back to zero. Right. Oh, it gives me heart palpitations remembering when you know you need it to be. And by the way, towards the end of any addiction, you're not even getting to zero. You're now doing a ton of stuff to get to negative 5% of what you would be without anything. Right. Yeah. So it's so nice to live in a world where I don't need that anymore. Right. Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. Okay, so you left in 2016. I did. And well, I have one weird question for you, and this is a gross one. I'm not even asking you to tell me. I'm more curious about the complex nature of the topic, which is when you say the bonus came in, you don't tell us how much it was. You tell us that in multiples of what your house cleaner made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What your children's teacher made and what your doctor made. Why not tell us what the bonus was? I do earlier in the book. Oh, okay. There is a point where I talk about right after the assault, I got my bonus. Uh Uh-huh. Your hush money? My hush money. Prior to that, I was making maybe 300, 400 a year. Uh Uh-huh. And I got paid a million dollars. Yeah, wow. that's a significant and mental yeah. moment. That guy made nine 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 nine. Oh, wow. what a mental fuck! Oh my god. Oh wow. So it wasn't so much that I earned it; it was I had to make more than him. So bonuses are in the millions. I mean, the interesting thing that a lot of people don't appreciate on Wall Street is what a large percentage of your total compensation is in your bonus. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it could be upwards of seventy five percent. You could have a $200,000 base and have your total comp be 1.2. Whoa, that is crazy. So that's really why those golden handcuffs. And then on top of it, again, depending on the firm or the structure, the bonus has a cash component, a securities component where they give you stock. Then the stock has vesting. Meaning you've got to stick around for it to- So maybe a third vest immediately, a third vest in a year, a third vest in two years. Right. So yes, it's further- you always leave stuff on the table. Yes, 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 yes. So what is the range at that company for people to make? Oh, my gosh. I mean, some people make 10, 20, 30. It also depends on your book of business. Some people you get just based on your trading P&L. If you're a salesperson, you get sales credit. So how much of what you sold translated into it? Mm -hmm. So Uh, imagine when you take the managerial route, you're kind of saying goodbye to maybe the huge eat what you kill portion of the business. So my business was a little different. It wasn't that traditional like sales and trading. Mm -hmm. It was a little more of like an annuity. We kind of made money every night on our book of business. And so it was sliced and diced, which in some ways got a little bit interesting because if you were in a straight trading business, it's like, this is your book. You get X percent of the total value and that's it. With us, a big question was attribution. 
So, okay, we made all this money. What is your value versus mm. your value, which yeah. is my value? It's and a, so if you know the guy in the office. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, one of the things I noticed was the year I got that huge bump up that kind of got me into that million dollar realm mm-hmm. and above, I had to give my new team their bonuses. I had to tell them. And it was interesting because what I observed was here I was this up and comer who got promoted to manage people. And yet I was making hundreds and thousands less than some of the other guys who were considered middle of the road performers. If they had technically been a better performer than I was, they would have been the manager. Yes. Yeah. So there's clearly a gender. Yeah. I saw it. They're currently, Goldman's ensnared in the largest civil lawsuit about gender Class in the industry, lawsuit. right? Right started now. Started 12 years ago. Oh, oh my wow. God. Oh, wow. It started in 2010. And I believe before it became that, I think it was actually open prior to that by one individual, even uh, before 2010. Hmm. Okay. I got to ask this because I imagine I might even be thinking about this, listening to this. What would you say to someone that's like, hey, tough shit. This is how it works. For people to make $15, $30 million, yeah, they don't have family lives. They're miserable. They get shit on. They're motivated in a very calculated way. That's how they perform. Pick another business. Why you got to try to take down that business? I think I mentioned when I first started, it was minds wide open. My thing is it should be eyes wide open. Okay, I say to that person, but then make sure that the glass offices are really saying what's going on. Don't say it's one of the best hundred places for women to work. Mm-hmm. Right. It's all a smoke and mirror campaign. Yeah. Right, be more I, honest about it. Be more honest about yeah, it This then. is hell, you'll hate it, but you'll be rich at the end of it. Because when they're marketing it and when they're going out to college campuses, and certainly when I was towing the party line and waving the Goldman flag all across the country at colleges, we were told to say all the right things. These are our goals and we want work-life balance, you know, and yeah. we have state-of-the-art lactation rooms that are empty. We have (laughs) generous maternity leaves that you dial into every day. So my whole point is, it's a bad game of telephone that I play with my kids around the dinner table Uh where you say one thing and it ends up in my family it being about farts. Because my my son's always the second to last person. It always becomes about farts. Good for him. (laughs) So let's just be open and honest about it. Don't say that we care about all these things when you clearly don't. Right. I don't even know it would have an impact on them financially, to be honest, because I can't imagine an investor gives a fuck what happens there, truly. I think they're looking for some percentage return they think is what they want, and they're not really concerned with how they get it, sadly. Right. Well, I respect that. I don't think they'd pay a price to be transparent, to be honest. I don't know. I don't think they'll get the best people or they'll get some people, but they won't get everyone. I mean, I would not work there (laughs) hearing that, hearing that story. You're making a deal with the devil. You're we talk about on this show all the time. Money is not worth that. It's not worth your happiness, your well-being, your health. It, like every drug, has completely diminished returns. If you go from $20,000 a year to $60,000, it is damn impactful, and the drug works. If you go from 60 to 120, it works a little less, but still significant. You're going to own a house, you know, and then you go to 200. Well, guess what? You guys might take vacations. But then, and this is well documented by a bunch of social scientists, it starts dissipating. The amount of money going up is not resulting in the same amount of ease in your life. At a certain threshold, it's now complicating your life. I mean, I saw that firsthand. And I always joked, you know, the more money people made, the poorer they were in spirit. It's important to just think about how large, powerful organizations can change people. And it's interesting with what a naysayer would say, that I would say, okay, well then, what kind of personalities are you going to get working there? Are you going to get the silverbacks beating 
beating their chest. What's the iteration of that in terms of who has the wealth? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason I bring it up is I want the best for people. I want the best for organizations. I want the best for the country. And also, I'm a realist. So, like, Wall Street is gross to me. Okay. 100%. But Wall Street's now a part of, I don't know what it is, 33% of our GDP. Like it is their biggest industry. So the notion that you can Bernie Sanders in, like, let's dismantle Wall Street, you're talking about living in a country that is vastly different than the one we're in. You're talking about a third of our wealth disappearing. So, okay, I don't like it. And yet perhaps we need it. Now it's who wants to go do that? I don't want to. I don't want to sell my entire existence on planet Earth to make the money. So some bizarre way, I'm a tiny bit grateful that there's these lunatics out there that want to do that because we need it for the country. It's compli- It's not just... Good, bad, this or that. It's one of the many cogs in a very complex system. Yes. There isn't an answer, right? Right. And it's okay to not have an answer. Like, Mm -hmm. I love living in a world where there is no answer. Yeah, we're just being honest. Right. And I just think for me, writing this book was shining a light, a personal and honest and authentic view on what goes on. So people have their eyes wide open when they look about future careers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a reality also to social pressure. So we can say it won't affect them, but more people write books about these things or come out. And there's pressure put on companies to do better when everyone's like, that's dangerous or that's bad or you're bad. It weirdly distills down into an issue of consent. Because if someone wants to work 90 hours a week and snort coke all night, I don't care if they're consenting to that. We all get to pick what life we want to live. And I want everyone to have whatever option suits them. I can be a piece that some people have lives I would find toxic and terrible as long as they knew what they were up for and that they actually consented to the thing they were sold. I think that would be the best outcome of this is just knowing what people are consenting to. And then if they consent, I don't really give a fuck how miserable their life is. I mean, I guess also in that vein, if you're with an abusive person and you're deciding to be in that relationship, you are deciding to be in that relationship, like you're making that decision. It doesn't mean that the abuser is good or okay or should be doing it just because the person's like, okay, I'm okay being in an abusive relationship. I agree with you. still horrible or she is. I agree with you, but also it's just everywhere. It's like, do you want to play football and make tens of millions of dollars? Yeah, okay, you might get CTE. Let's at least tell everyone you might get CTE. But I do think in this country, on this planet, if that's your decision, I'm going to have to respect it. What's happening is not only is there a lack of transparency, of what it's really like, Mm -hmm. there's actually a pitch that's very different. Yes. It's like, say, play football. It's entirely safe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is really so outside of our wheelhouse. I've really, really enjoyed this. Me too. Thanks for sharing. So the book is called Bully Market, My Story of Money and Misogyny at Goldman Sachs. Bully Market. Really a great read. I got super sucked into it. It's very well written and a world that I can't imagine many of us have any connection to. I really want to commend you for leaving because I know like that is the hardest thing anyone can do right now you're telling her story like she's stuck with me with these golden handcuffs she just wants out so bad but she bought a house she's got to remodel (laughs) no for a woman especially to have reached a level of success to be applauded for that the pride knowing there's less opportunities for you so if you got one of the few opportunities exactly they made you feel like you scored and in a lot of ways you did to walk away from that it is 
almost impossible. So yeah. the fact that you did it is really, really commendable. Thank you. And I do think it's why my story is a bit unique mm -hmm. because a lot of women who got to that rank stayed or went to a competitor. Well, I'm a cynic by nature too. So I will say if you had written this book after three years of being there, what I might've cynically thought was, well, yeah, you didn't make the cut. So that's why you're pissed at the place. But you made the cut. You were in the yeah. gravy spot. You yeah. know, you could have written yeah. that out. I'm so glad I left. I mean, my husband and I talk about it all the time. Like I back to who I was. Yeah. Who you like. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jamie, so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been pleasure. amazing. <laughs> all right. Be well. And now my favorite part of the show, the fact check with my soulmate, Monica Padman. Here we are. Here welcome we are. home. Back in the attic. Is there a famous welcome home song? Welcome home. Welcome home. That's our cure-all song. That's there's, right. There's that Edward Sharp home song. How's that one go? Oh, I love that song. I don't, I don't, sing, I don't sing either. Well. Home is where I was. That's my um, naive melody, my favorite song of all time, Talking Heads. Oh. Which, by the way, mm. this is fresh off the press. Mm. This is a couple hours old. Driving the kids to school this morning. Yeah. And there is a new version of my very favorite song. This must be the place by the Talking Heads. It's by Sure Sure. Can I play you two yes, seconds please. of it? It's an exciting version of it. I like that I version, like right? Yes. I mean, to me, you're really taking, you're like, you're rewriting the Bible for me on this one. You're mm. remaking Godfather. Sure. This is a dangerous endeavor, and they passed my test. It's very playful. Incredibly playful. You should even hear how it takes off. I don't want to bore everyone with the entire song, but boy, does it take off the playfulness. Ooh. Exciting. Giggle, I just giggle. ordered Calvin a banner that says this must be the place yesterday for his you did? bedroom. It's like a big oh, camping banner. Wobby. What's a camp? Banner. Like your camp, um, a flag. It's like a flag. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cute, yeah. cute, cute. Like cute. you declare, like camp rascal. Like that's the division. That is Rob's camp. Of course it is. Camp rascal. Camp rascal. <laughs> Do you want to tell people about your pants? Speaking of rascal, <laughs> I mean, I think you would be way better off describing my pants. Okay, so you bought They're some pants, out there. and you've you've made an alteration yourself. I thought these pants were going to be like thin summer. Linen, -y pants. linen. Okay. And when they came, they were so voluminous around the haunches, and then up like <laughs> mid calf at the end, they were crazy looking. I put these on. I was like, "What do we do with these?" And I had spent a good deal of money on them. Sure. So they were sitting right. Yeah. As they do with things, I spend a lot of money on, and I can't accept that I'm never going to wear them. Yeah. And then I think on Friday, I was like, let's cut a foot or two off these and see where we're at. Yeah. And I did that. And then I wore them all day Friday. And, and I just love how they feel. And they're either hideous looking on me or they work. I can't tell. No, I actually don't think it's either. That's the either or. Oh, okay. Because um, they're not hideous. Okay. Um, of course they work. They... <laughs> Well, I mean, yes, they're covering my genitals. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are intriguing. 
They're one-offs. I mean, they're no, an original. They are because they hit you at about. Let they're me stand like up. Culottes. Let me stand up. Let's get a real. Let's not guess. Okay, so it's about what four inches below the knee, five inches. Yeah. But it's definitely two thirds of the way up the calf and shin, maybe right. even three quarters of the way up. You know what you're doing? What? You're being Brad Pitt. You're being so out there with your fashion right now. And you even called it. You said, oh, I'm going to be wearing skirts. I'm going to be wearing skirts here in a minute. And that it. I'm, you're right. I'm inching towards. Wow. I could, in fact, just have these seams opened up and maybe have them joined. Yeah. Make and have a skirt. my first skirt. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cute. Okay. Wow. This might be the first iteration of this garment. I think so. It's definitely that billowy material that works for a skirt. They're comfortable as all get out. I mean, I'm really comfortable in these. That's good. I slept in these last mm. night, if you got to know the full truth. Sure. <laughs> sure. And then I woke up and I ran out of time. <laughs> I did. Look, I, I was in this outfit when I dropped the kids off at school. Yeah. And when I got out of the car, I was like, I'm going for it. <laughs> I, are my kids self-conscious about See, this outfit? That's very Brad Pity. Yeah. It's pity. <laughs> Real pity. <laughs> and then I ran into my good friend, Scott Schaefer, who was an AD on Parenthood, oh. a great AD, and now is head of physical production at HBO. Cool. A, I just love seeing him because we were good friends. Mm -hmm. And then um, I get to talk to him about all the inside scoop at HBO, Ooh, which is fun, yeah. behind the curtain. But I was wearing this outfit. Well, two things happened. God damn it. Now we're here. Yeah. <sighs> What's wrong? Okay. Back up. I have the new goal of waking up at 5.50 in the morning yes. so I can write for two hours before I drop the kids off at school. Yeah. Well, I woke up at 4.50 and I was oh kind of fucked. Like, what am I going to now stay up till 4.50? And I knew we had a long day. So then I had to wrestle myself back to sleep, which means I didn't wake up till 7, which means I only got to do my journal, not my prose writing and my meditation. Okay. So I pretty much ran out the door. I hadn't even looked in the mirror and I'm wearing the same outfit I slept in. Run right. into Scott. I'm like, I look like a bozo. I look like a circus clown. That's just the outfit. Then I get back in the car. I don't normally have sleepies. Aww, oh, my God. Sleepies. I looked in the rear view mirror as I got in the car. I was like, fucking A, I had sleepies all. <laughs> Poor Scott was talking to me in this crazy outfit. No. And I had sleepies. He must have been grossed out. No, like, he wasn't. He must have thought I was a unhoused no he thought you he thought you were sleepy that's what sleepies mean it, i got in that car and i was looking in there and i, I was, oh fuck i had a sleepy on my left and then i was like oh my god i want the right eye too was it really yellow no it wasn't like a goober in the middle it was literally below where like the folds of my oh. chubby eyelids would be it was like a little crust, but white Aww. crust. It wasn't so gross as just that's crust. No, it's. Oh my god, people are gonna stop listening. They're stop. gonna have to at some point. No, it's fine. Between the shitty my pants. It's and an the... audio podcast. They can't like, see your okay. crust. But at some point, are they like, you know what, this guy's disgusting? No. Okay. Well, that's what happened this You're morning. You're not that's disgusting. A, I was a little embarrassed. Oh, I'm sorry uh, that it's okay. happened. It's okay. You weren't going to tell us that. You were I was, had that. no intention of telling anyone that. That would have been something that never came up. Why? Because you thought you might just cry? just be my quiet, quiet shame. I don't know. But but I'm, it's out there. It came up. Mm. Let's talk about your the fact that you're home from your European vacation. And massage. And people are not going to... And massage. They're not going to be cool with us not asking an update because our okay. last fact check ended with heavy speculation that's right and heavy encouragement you have a new you have a ring on your finger yep 
I am oh. engaged. <laughs> oh, my. This is a huge development. <laughs> um, I, I do have a new ring. Thank you for noticing, Rob. It's a beautiful yeah. ring. Chanel. Oh, my um, God. Shout out to Chanel. bought it myself. It was not by my massage therapist. Okay. But I will give an update on that. <laughs> please, 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 please. Can I suggest that you start on, say, Saturday? when Because oh, you've now told Molly, Amy, and Kristen that you're seeing him. And they've all had massages by him. Right. I mean, I get, sure. They arranged it. Yes. Because they've had these massages. They believe it was a life-changing massage. Medicinal. And so now they're starting to get really excited for you as the appointment closes in. I want to point out that Mm -hmm. so much hype started building that you went into it, I would imagine, with the mindset of like, isn't this going to be terrible compared to, I think that's important. Yes, it was very hyped up, but it's been hyped up for years. And Mm -hmm. then, yeah, I'm going in. I'm like, okay, well, really, I think I was looking for it to disappoint. Okay. I think a little part of me wanted it to be disappointing. So then, well, I didn't tell the girls this. I said it on here, right? That he told me that it was early in his experience when he massaged them. But he has since ratcheted up his performance. Oh, my God. And I didn't tell them that. You don't want them to feel like they got a bunk version. Yeah, but they did. Okay. Because then... (laughs) We already know that he looked you up on Instagram from the previous... Yes, 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 yes. He looked me up on Instagram, and we know that because last episode you made a joke about the oil. Do I bring a lot of oil or... Not a lot of oil. Yes, I'm just wondering how much oil to bring. bring. And then I said, (laughs) well, he's looked at my Instagram, so I think he knows. Mm -hmm. Okay. My massage was Sunday. So Saturday, he said, tomorrow's the day. Oh, yeah. Foreplay. Uh Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, yay. You know, I'm so excited. And so he sends me his address. It says that he was at his home. Yeah. It's his home, but it's his studio. Sure. I'm not taking anything away from his home. It's just, it's not a brick and mortar storefront. (laughs) No. Yeah, Yeah, it's a a residence. I arrived at a residence, yes. And I was early. Oh. Um, I text him, I'm early, no rush, though. I'll just be standing outside the door. (laughs) (laughs) Sting at me. So then he opens the door, he says, voila! Oh my God, that's how he greeted you? No, actually, I don't remember. Okay. He said something, (laughs) he had some bed head. Oh, interesting. But it looked good on him? Yeah. Yeah. This guy's got it made. I was like, he's hot. Okay. Yeah. He is uh-huh. hot. They were, okay, they were right. Yeah. He's objectively hot. Yeah. But also like in a French way, like bad head, like mm. then I come in, he picks out my shoes for me, like my little sandals. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Because you got to transfer from your your, your street shoes. Into yes. The, okay. He sits me on down on the couch. There's all these oils in front of me. Uh-huh. Um, and then he's just like wants to chat for a little bit. Great. So then we're chatting. He's asking kind of about my vacation. You oh, know, just normal. General. Okay, yeah. get to know your stuff. Yeah. He asks about Kristen. Sure, updates. Yeah, he asks what I do. So we, whatever, we're chit-chatting. And I'm feeling so on edge a little bit. Okay. Then he makes me pick out my oils. Okay. I pick a body oil and then also a scent oil. Sure. Lavender? I picked lavender for my body and then this like kind of woodsy one. Oh, smoky. Uh, Okay. The whiskey. (laughs) Yeah. Woods. Okay. He doesn't speak great English. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of great. Yeah. Yeah. So then he leads me into this other room, the sauna. 
Okay, that's in his home. Yeah, yeah. it's part of his studio. No, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm not being um, demeaning <laughs> no, to No, I know you're not. I'm just telling How you. How big like, is the sauna? Big. It's infrared. I help him learn the word infrared. Great. We go in there. Now both people are getting something out of this experience, which <laughs> is right. great. He says 20 minutes oh. in the sauna, and then you'll shower. There's a shower. Oh, my God, in front of the cameras. And, and I said, okay, do I wear it? This, so there's a robe hanging. Yeah. And I said, do I wear this robe? And he said, no. Like he like really hated the idea oh. of me wearing the robe oh my God. <laughs> in the sauna. Yes, yes, of course. And so I said, oh, okay, yeah. And he said, nude. Like he kept oh. saying nude. He didn't, doesn't say naked. Yeah. That's, I guess, an American word. And I said, okay. And then he said, you can wear this. And there's this like little kind of paper underwear. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you mm. want to wear this, you can wear this. And he said, and then... You'll put on the robe. Right. You can wear this underwear if you want, but it's better if you're nude. Yes, yes, of course. And does he stay in the room? No. While, okay. No. Okay, okay. I think he sensed that maybe I was a little, hmm, about- The nudity. Yeah. Uh -huh. So he said, you'll be covered with a towel the whole time. And I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, great. At this point, I'm like, I'm just gonna have to surrender to this experience. Because I will say, when he texted me, tomorrow is the day. Yeah. I thought, is there a world in which Kristen has told him to have sex with me? Oh, right. And I sure. really did not like that. I need a to make A charity case? Yeah, I have a lot of baggage about being a charity case. Yeah. And so, and also it was just like, no, like I don't want I'm that. I'm making the decisions. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So I had some fear about that. So I, I went in being like, I need to make it pretty clear. I'm, I'm not, not interested in that. Yeah. Right. So anyway, he leaves the room, I get into the sauna and it's really nice. Yeah. And then I get in the shower and I, then I was confused about the shower because I'm like, do I wash my hair? I thought he was gonna do some hair play and I don't want my hair to be wet during hair play. Of course. <laughs> so then I do get my hair wet, but I don't wash it. And I wash my body and then I put on the robe and I can put some makeup on. <laughs> no, <laughs> my perfume. <laughs> no, you're in the opposite headspace. No, no, no. Of I, I, I was. It's so obvious you weren't in that headspace, yeah. which is why I made that joke. Things do take a turn. So yeah. then I, I go in. I go in. Oh, he asked me. He says, "Do you want the music with lyrics or without?" Okay, great. And I was like, "I don't know." You don't like, have preference. What, yeah. No. What do you think? It's my first time. In your apartment. Reminding everyone that he has referred to this as an experience many times. He was like, this is an experience. Like yeah. sometimes people cry yeah, and yeah. feel free to have all the emotions you're going to have. Right. Okay. Okay. So then I pick with lyrics. Okay, good. Go in. Uh, he tells me to lay down and put the towel on. Mm -hmm. And I look and like in American massages, you get under a sheet. That's right. And it's like really covering your whole body. Concealing. You slide under that sheet. Yeah, like some Brooklyn. A beautiful Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. This was not that. It was a towel. Yeah, that you had just dried off or a no, new towel? A new towel. <laughs> okay. But it's, you know, a towel doesn't cover that. It's not like it's flowing off the table. It's no. just just covering my body. Yeah. Comes in, turns on the music. It's already, it smells so good. That woodsy oil smells lovely. Yeah. And then he starts and it, um, was is it instantaneously hot? connected and and hot and lovely? Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. He but he pulls the towel and down. does he go down all the way past your butt yes. or right out of the gates? Yes. So you're just the your whole back is totally exposed. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. Okay. And I was like, wow. okay, yeah, okay, here we, here we yeah. go. Let's here we go. go. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> um, and he does like he massages sort of to the to the music. It was so so sensual. Oh my I mean, gosh. Extreme, wow. extremely. Wow. And he massaged everything except Ev your my pussy pachydermis. Okay. But when he was on your butt close. cheeks, does he? How close is he getting to your anus? My butthole. Yes. Um, I wasn't like, oh, <laughs> yeah, his right. finger is touching my butthole. Right. Okay. Good. But oh, the whole thing. Well, so the back's the back. The back's. You the can back. only get so crazy. Yeah. Now. Now it's time to flip. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so he whispers to turn over. Oh. And I do, and there's multiple seconds before the towel comes back oh, down on me. Oh, Rob, <laughs> what, what are your what's your heart rate at right now, Rob? <laughs> He's just staring. Oh my god! But and does he make then, eye contact with you? Well, I, my eyes are closed. You okay? You can just feel that he's staring. It's not like he you flipped and he walked to another side of the room. No, no, no. no. He lifted the towel and so it, so you it's could a, roll over. Yep, all the way on your back. What I'm used to with the the flip, they stay on the side. They lift the towel. They're on the side and they're like keeping the towel still pretty. I mean, the sheet still yeah. very close to the. So you're kind of squirming to get yeah. over. This is not that. The towel comes up. Right. You flip over. Out in the open, I flip over and then I'm there uh -huh. for some time before the towel comes back How on. How long do you think? Five. Full seconds? One, four one thousand, five. two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, yeah. five. Wow. What's happening at your titillation meter? Just being bare nude in front of him, knowing he's just enjoying <laughs> the show. Well, at that time, since it was like halfway so through. You're warmed up. Yeah. Yeah. I was. You were in no hurry for him I to him. I wasn't. It was fascinating. That's like, very erotic. It was incredible incredibly erotic just someone deciding Thing. they'd like to stare at you nude might be more erotic You're and like exciting so than exposed. yes than even like touching in the middle of kissing this is such a weird thing to say but i feel like we had sex right i, I really because of the level of, <laughs> of intimacy. intimacy and exposing yourself and trust it was so intimate there was one thing he did I was facing up. He was put his hands under my back. And lifts you up a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, so you're arching. Yeah. Oh my goodness. But your breasts are now being <laughs> out. jutted out. Everything's out. Right, and, and as he pulls your back up, they're now shooting out, right? <laughs> like, you're, that, am I understanding this right? Like he's kind of rolling your yeah, spine. Yeah, I guess. Wow. It was like what you would do during sex. It's a yeah. sexual move. Yeah, yeah. That he did not touch Go, okay. my vagina. I'll okay. be okay, great. very clear about that. Great. Did now tell like, me about the breast portion. Yeah, he, he- He was rubbing your breasts. Yes. Over the nipples and everything. Yes. Oh my God. Does he do men's massages? <laughs> I don't know if he's ever oh done a God. man. I don't know how- I need it. Did you feel like you might climax during any of this? Um. You were too afraid to go like, fuck it, let's go for it. Let's let's embrace it and actually try to climax. You weren't willing to go do that. No. Could you have climaxed? I guess that's the question. Um. My body was ready, ready. for it. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's all I can oh, That's all I feel wow. comfortable saying. Sure. It's ha very hard to explain. It was like if something actually ha crossed 
the line, yeah. it would have ruined it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. I like, got you. Yeah. You guys were on the perfect line between inappropriate and appropriate. I mean, you're on the other side of uh, appropriate, <laughs> but not like whatever your bottom line was. Exactly. Also, if anyone has the opportunity, I would oh, say you yeah. take it. Don't miss it. I'm going to send my mom to him. Your mom would love it. I know. I wonder if he would give her the same treatment he gave you. I mean, probably not. I mean, I'd love to believe he's just like a spreader of joy and eroticism. Sure. And that he would give my mother that same. Yeah. But he wanted. Well, he would. He, well, no, he <laughs> certainly wanted to date you. Well, he said after, yeah. he said, well, you have a perfect body. Wow. <laughs> And I was glad he said it yeah. after. Yes, yes. And not during. Right. It was once I had my robe back on and we were out were of safe. the room. Yes. And then, am I right that he asked what you were doing? Yeah, but I think You think that, that was just innocuous? Yeah. What he do you asked think, what Rob? I was doing what? later that night. <laughs> Directly after <laughs> he said you were very funny. <laughs> no, it was a little, it was a Five, like six a minutes couple after. minutes after. Yeah, Rob, that was a request for a date. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. it. Yeah. Once he said I had a perfect body, I was ex incredibly flattered. Yeah. I, like, yeah, I was. You were I, on, you were um, floating. I was already. A mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he, then he said that and I was like. I gotta go. I gotta go. Like wow, I got right. to go now. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This is yeah. a. This is one of the best stories I've ever heard on this show. It was a big day. It was funny because of your joke about massaging the boobs <laughs> was so clearly a joke. And then, so when that was a real thing happening, I was like, I can't believe <laughs> this is actually this. happening right I can't now. That he did need to bring a certain um, volume of oil. Of oil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so here's what I thought might happen. So you were very clear on all your things, and then you left, and it was perfect. It was perfect. My prediction, and it wasn't like a 70%. I wouldn't have bet. Like, if I was doing odds in Vegas, I had a 30% thought that you're going to have, like, a full half day to marinate on the the, the post kind of euphoria of it all. Mm -hmm. And then you'd go to dinner mm -hmm. and you'd be drinking a glass of wine mm -hmm. and then he'd reach out and he'd say like, how are you feeling after your experience? Mm -hmm. And then I I thought there's a 30% chance that the thing could still take a turn that evening. Right. Did he reach out that evening? He reached out, but it wasn't that evening. It was okay. later, but it wasn't like late. Okay. And it um, wasn't while you were having a glass of wine. No, no. Perfect. I didn't text. want that. I know. I know, I, I know you didn't. I, I, I believe you a thousand percent. I just think it's hard for you to understand that. As a yes. Yeah. I won't even say as a guy, as me. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, you came home. What an experience. So, the fact that after all the hype, the buildup, it was everything they said and then beyond that. And I will say, I asked him, How long have you been doing this? And he said, This three years massage 17 years wow so yeah. when he said he is doing something different he is doing something different yes yeah i did think though like if i had a boyfriend and i went to france and i had this experience <laughs> yeah yeah it would have i think felt like i just cheated a little it really does like it's like oh i'm a i'm awake right i'm, I'm, I'm awake online now. yeah wow what a guy
It was something. Oh, it was wow. something. I was not expecting to be able to report all of that back. I thought it would just be like, yeah, it was like a little hyped up, but it was great. I expected it to be like an incredible massage, but this, it wasn't that. Right. It was an experience <laughs> by God. <laughs> it did cross my, I got to tell you, because I'm so protective of you. Yeah. The only thing I thought was like, okay, so 30% chance some wine happens. You're oh, not after? on the pill anymore. Oh, I know. That's what crossed my mind. Is are you going to come home right now? With this guy's kid. <laughs> Luckily, abortion is legal in California. That's true. That's true. But see, that's why abortion should be legal because like you if and your they masseuse. need to go to the, <laughs> sorry, your massage this... therapist. No, at that point, it's a masseuse. No. Uh, yeah, because what they don't like is that masseuses <laughs> imply some kind of sexual flavors. So yeah. if he if he did climb on top of you, then we could rightfully probably call him a masseuse. And I, I was I was like, culturally, this is so interesting. Like, what if it just feels standard. so erotic? Yeah, what if it's standard? Because it's French. I know. Incredible story. <laughs> Incredible story. Okay, now, ding, ding, ding. We mentioned Six Flags in this episode, Six Flags New Jersey, because that's where she's from. Six Flags Great Adventure, and that is a ding, 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 because we just brought that up in, on another fact check. About when, the roller coasters. Yes. yes. Hot, biggest roller coaster is there. Okay, pros and cons to coffee. Uh. It has a lot of nutrients, the coffee beans do. Vitamin B2, vitamin B5, B1, B3, folate, uh, potassium, magnesium, phosphorus, lots of stuff. It can add up to a significant portion of your daily nutritional intake. But coffee really shines in its high content of antioxidants. In fact, the typical Western diet provides more antioxidants from coffee than from fruits and vegetables combined. Whoa. Yeah. That's the only place I'm getting my antioxidants. Yeah, I know. I haven't yeah. had a vegetable in a while. <laughs> I know. I did think like, you're not even seeing it in its peak form. Yeah, you're seeing it after <laughs> a food orgy over the last 10 days. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Caffeine, a stimulant that can enhance brain function and boost metabolism, may protect your brain from Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it says coffee drinkers have a much lower risk of type 2 diabetes, mm. lower risk of liver diseases, lower risk of depression and suicide. And this mm, fact check was brought to you seems... on the American Council of Coffee. <laughs> okay, but then it says coffee can cause anxiety and disrupt sleep. Yeah. We can live with that. Okay. Addictive oh, sure. and missing a few cups can lead to withdrawal. Oh, yeah. Who cares? Just keep having the cup. Just, you, yeah. like you're gonna, you can't get your hands on a cup of coffee. Exactly. Yeah. I guess if you add a lot of sugar, that's bad. Yes, of course. But this isn't an episode on sugar. This is about coffee. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, it sounds like a lot of pros. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. I'm glad I'm drinking so much of it. Okay. Cold water versus room temp water. I'm always told the Chinese believe it's not good to drink cold water. I don't think it's about Chinese. Uh, that's what I'm always told. <laughs> oh, my God, it is. Okay. All water is good. Dr. Jill Blakeway, a licensed and board certified doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine and founder and clinical herbalist at Yanova, says cold water is refreshing and cooling. It's great on a hot day and a good choice after exercise. Hmm, okay. okay, so... Drinking warm water may be better in some instances, whereas drinking cold water might also be more beneficial. It says room temp water can make you less thirsty. Mm. Cold water is beneficial after a workout. Room temp aids in digestion. Mm. In Chinese medicine, 
(laughs) You're right. In Chinese medicine, we advocate drinking warm water because of its effects on the digestive system. Drinking cold water can congeal the fats in food and because of that can make the digestive system sluggish. Well, look, this I think we can say without getting into too much hot water, ding, ding, ding. Mm. Different populations of people around the world struggle with different issues yes. kind of pandemically. Yeah. Warm water improves circulation and can relax muscles, which combat constipation and abdominal cramping. Cold water can stuff up your sinuses. Room temp water boosts metabolism because it increases your overall body temperature. Cool. Okay. That's right. enough. Yeah. Does scoliosis skip generations? Um, is scoliosis genetically passed from parents to their children? Strong evidence suggests that scoliosis runs in families, but no direct evidence has been found. Also, nearly a third of patients with adolescent idiopathic scoliosis have a family history of the condition. Only a third. So, That's yeah. not huge. And that's from the Scoliosis Institute. Okay, she went to a good college, and she says it's one of the seven sisters, and I didn't know what that was, and I felt like a bad unifile. I don't either. Okay, the Seven Sisters refers to seven highly selective liberal arts colleges in the northeastern U.S. that are historically women's colleges. Okay. Barnard, Bryn Mawr, Mount Holyoke, Smith, Wellesley, Vassar. Vassar College is currently a co-educational college, and Radcliffe College was absorbed by 1999 by Harvard College. Oh, wow. Okay. I only knew two of those. I knew... Vassar and Barnyard. Barnard. You knew Wellesley, right? Oh, yes. I think that might have been in Catcher in the Rye. And Smith, I knew. But I didn't know... Well, Bryn Mawr, I think, is where she went. Okay, now we know. Now we know. I didn't know Mount Holyoke. Nope, still don't. (laughs) These colleges were created to provide women with the educational equivalent to the traditional male Ivy League colleges. It's pretty Mm. cool. I like that. Okay. The New York Times article about the indicators that lead to climbing the economic ladder. It's called, quote, friending bias. Okay. And it was in August of this year. A large new study offers clues about how lower income children can rise up the economic ladder. Growing up in a community connected across class lines improves kids' outcomes and gives them a better shot at rising out of poverty. That's what's cool about our kids' school. It is very cool. Yeah, it's half halves and half half nots. Yeah. So if you guys want to read this article, it's interesting. Okay. You said when traders have wins, mm-hmm. they get a bump in testosterone. Right. So I could not find evidence of that. What there is a ton of evidence of is when city traders have high morning testosterone levels, they make more than average profits for the rest of that day. Oh, wow. So the testosterone effect affects the outcome in some ways, weirdly. Uh-huh. But I couldn't find the reverse. Okay. Do you know women have more testosterone than they have estrogen? Yes, but the percentage is... Lower than males. Yes. But what's interesting is we we think of estrogen as being the female hormone right. and testosterone being the male hormone. And obviously there's a big difference. But I don't think anyone realizes women have more testosterone than they have estrogen. Yeah, we learned that in... Our fertility podcast. Oh, you did? I learned it on Huberman talking yeah, to Peter Otillo. It was with <laughs> oh, is it? oh, okay. And depends on the person, the levels. I have a lot, mm-hmm. I think. Self-diagnosed, <laughs> like my sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Testosterone is the big opponent of fertility in men. So for people who are thinking about doing testosterone replacement therapy, 
you absolutely cannot do it if you want to have kids. It destroys your fertility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, the rate of opiate addiction in vets while in Vietnam is 30% and they come home and 4% remain addicted. That's the numbers? That's what you said. Oh, okay. I've lost complete faith in those guesses. There's this huge publication I found and there's a table in here. You're definitely right. Let's just say you're definitely right that the number goes drastically There's down. There's a staggering drop once off they when they come return. back. But I'll read some of this because I have it broken down to any narcotic use, any heroin use, narcotics more than weekly for a month or more, mm. addicted to narcotics at any period, urine positive for narcotics. Okay. So let's just use any narcotic use. 10% since return. Okay. And 43% in Vietnam. Okay. And 11% before Vietnam. That's really weird. It came down. It came down after. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, 43% narcotic use. Yeah. That's uh, a lot. Yeah, two out of every five. Okay. I have a surprise. It's not really a surprise because you told me to look it up, but. (laughs) (laughs) Although it is a surprise because I've forgotten. Yeah. You have the best speakers I've ever heard on a Mac. Really? It's so loud. Look at that bathtub. She's in a 6,000 gallon <laughs> circular bathtub in Roman pillars. They were one sentence away from saying have an orgasm. It's kind of ding, ding, ding. It's very ding, ding, ding. They're promising that that. Calgon can give you the experience you got in that <laughs> man's apartment. <laughs> Good luck, Calgon. Yeah. <gasps> oh no! You lost something. You lost the whole document. <laughs> no, what happened? Well, I would imagine it died after the, the volume of the. All my tabs went away. Oh. I don't think I have very many left, but. Did your Chrome crash? Sometimes if you reopen it, it says reopen tabs. I know, but it didn't. You guys both use Chrome? Yeah. You should use Chrome. It's good. Fuck. <laughs> Sign that you're a good employee. <gasps> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Was it Chrome, though? Yeah. Yeah, because Safari comes default on Apple. Yeah, yeah. And Chrome, you've got to add. And Windows Explorer is the default um, browser. I don't know on... what Windows... Internet Explorer, <laughs> I think, is discontinued now. I think Firefox. Fox, maybe. Oh, Firefox, yeah. That was the most best employee, wasn't it? Firefox? No, you were really out on the limb. Chrome. No. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. I just like because it integrates with Google, everything. Right. Google. Fuck. Okay, I'll start using it. Just use it. It's always begging me when I open Gmail to switch <gasps> over. Do you think yeah. maybe you're not using it because you're like, I don't want to be an employee anymore? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I, it's probably an inflated confidence in Apple. Like, well, Safari's got to be the best. I uh, like all the other Apple suite products. of products. Yeah. yeah. Safari's good. Safari's good. You know what's cool about Chrome? Tell me. Um, I could pull up my history. Oh, well, you can do that no, on Safari. No, <laughs> yes, you of course. Right there, Chrome. You can. Yeah, you can do that on AOL. I'm no. Just, that's OG shit right you there. Definitely, it's Chrome. I just want to earmark out loud, but on a next fact check, because this one's been so wonderfully good and robust. Long. Yeah. But just on an earmark that I have a, a grievance to air. Oh, my. Got outraged. <laughs> so just 
Speaking of that, while you look at your thing, there's two things that sound racist that aren't in Formula One. Oh, what? Because they say regularly, like the Spanish driver, because it's an international sport and all these guys are from different countries. Yeah. So they'll say like, Carlos signs, like the Spanish driver is, you know, running. They'll refer to their nationality a lot. Oh, I see. But when they say the Mexican driver, (laughs) because Perez is from Mexico. It just feels racist. That's right. And the other one is uh, Zhou Granu. Um, he's from China. And when they say the Chinese driver. I, like I the chi- don't Especially like that. if he's like, he's spun out or something. And they'll say like, oh, the Chinese driver went wide. It's, it's deeply racist, but it's objectively not because they're saying everyone's nationality but for some reason when they say the chinese driver or the mexican driver no, there's a reason it's because in america we do that to those nationalities well you just rarely hear someone saying this mexican it's never positive after someone that's what i'm saying yeah that's which is that's very american though always i'm like oh chinese driver why they just say it's good that you have that reaction (laughs) i like that Okay, hold on. Um, the history is not going as, as good well as, as I you wanted remembered it to, it be. to be on Chrome. Um, Maybe thinking of Safari. No. Okay, I found it. Okay, so the question is: Is the America's GDP is the Wall Street? For so sorry, I'm pretty jet lagged. Of course. <laughs> Do you, does it look like I'm getting frustrated? <laughs> no, I'm frustrated with myself because oh, okay. I can't talk right now. What do you think about this reframing? I kind of like it. I've heard that it's a good idea. And I know you're aware of it. Instead of uh, saying, I'm sorry, I blank, say, um, thanks for your patience. Oh, that's nice. Thanks for your patience. Yeah, no problem. Um, hmm. like, you don't owe me an apology. I don't know why that's a thing. I just know um, intuitively I like it. Like, I like instead of coming in and going like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm blank. It's. I'm going to thank you for your patience. Right. Do you feel like it's taking less responsibility? A little. Yeah. A little. Because, like, I am sorry if I'm making mistakes. Well, you don't need to be because I'm not upset. I think it's for more mundane things that you're not supposed to over-apologize because I've heard that, too. Like, this is a broad thing I would love to help Lincoln get over. She says, I'm sorry so much and drives me crazy because I'm like, you don't need to be sorry. She does say it as she almost says it. It's a default. Yeah. Like when we're playing soccer and she doesn't kick it perfectly to me. I know. And I'm like, baby, you don't need to be like, this is part of. But do you know what she's doing? She's doing what I just did. She's, She's saying I'm sorry to herself. And that's what I, I've, in so many words, I said to her, it's okay for you to have a goal for yourself. Yeah. That you might even want to say, like, I know I can do better to yourself, but you don't owe me anything. Yeah. It's almost I don't like have a an tick. expectation of you being perfect at passing a soccer ball 300 times. Right. So you don't owe me an apology because I, I had, there's been no unsaid contract that that's what I expect from you. Yeah. It, it's totally dependent on the scenario. Yeah. I think it's courteous to say I'm sorry if you've impacted somebody. Yeah. Okay. The percentage of America's GDP that's Wall Street. Oh, finance. 
1970, the finance insurance industries accounted for 4.2% of U.S. GDP, up from 2.8% in 1950. By 2012, they represented 6.6. The story with profits is similar. In 1970, the profits of the finance and insurance industries were equal to 24% of the profits of all other sectors combined. In 2013, that number had grown to 37%, despite the after effects of the financial crisis. Wow. Yeah. So 30%. 37? Wow. In 2013. Yeah. So it could be more. That's why people should be critical of the finance industry, but the notion that we should get rid of it or totally- Well, that's how this came up, yeah. Yeah, is like, it's naive. It is. You can't really talk about getting rid of any industry that's 30% of our GDP without humongous, colossal collapse of many systems and- I know. People's life. Yes. I'm not interested in getting rid of it at all. But I don't subscribe to the thought that it has to be toxic to work. Right, right, right. Nor do I think we should be held hostage by any industry. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking to the people that are like, dismantle Wall Street. Totally. No private banking. Like this is a cornerstone of our overall economy yeah and really it's all england is now they stop manufacturing they have some luxury goods they have burberry that's a luxury (laughs) good yeah (laughs) burberry trench okay that's all for today okay now you have it we have an easter egg for next fact check which is always exciting love you thank you for that great story you're welcome (laughs) 